Welcome to Ride Ever Stride, episode 14. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis. This is a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm here with Master Horseman Van Hargis, and we're going to be talking about bits today. We've had, uh, Van, a number of questions about bits, and you're... uh, you're kind of a bit guy in the sense of you've been invited and asked to design bits at various times. Right. And so maybe we can talk about that process in general, but maybe start with what's your favorite bit? Well, Laura, thank you, of course, for asking that and relaying those questions. And, you know, it's kind of a tough question when people ask me what my favorite bit is, because as weird as it may sound, as much as I'm intrigued by bits and as much as I like to help design bits, I really don't believe in them a whole heck of a lot. And that sounds kind of odd to some people for somebody who designs them and uses them every day. But the reason I don't believe in them is not so much I don't believe in the bit. I just don't believe in that the bit is the magic solution of fixing problems. I mean, you'd be surprised how many times that I have people ask me as a trainer, they'll, they'll say, well, well, what bit do you recommend for this horse that doesn't have a good stop? Or I'm trying to put a better handle on my horse. What bit do you recommend? And, you know, the reality, Laura, is that I've yet to see a bit with an IQ. <laughs> so if I really can't recommend a bit until I see somebody's skill level, until I see uh, exactly where the horse is and his training, what he knows and what he doesn't know, because all of those things come into play as to which bit that I'm going to select for that particular horse. And I never look at a bit as a problem solver. In fact, in most cases, the bits are what causes a lot of problems and not so much the bit itself, but how the bits are used or how they're misunderstood. And even in some cases, how the horses interpret the signals that's being sent through the bit to the horse. But to answer your question simply is that my favorite bit by far is the offset D ring snaffle that I designed with Rainsman uh, equestrian products several years ago. Um, some people don't really know what an offset D ring is, but if you can imagine the old traditional O-ring snaffles. In other words, it's just a plain mouthpiece bit with a broken middle, and it has a big ring on either side. The most common size rings you see are probably three or four inch O-rings on the side. And uh, the offset D-ring is kind of a modified version of that. And the reason I prefer the offset D-ring as opposed to the traditional O-ring snaffle is, is that number one, that offset D-ring does a great job in preparing our horses for almost every bit that's going to follow after we ride with a snaffle. And some people ask this question, well, if you get your horses really nice and broke to the bit and they're doing really well, they're handling great, they're stopping good, they're turning around nicely, then why would we ever graduate outside of a snaffle if a horse is really going to perform well with that? Why should we ever progress up toward a curb bit of some sort? Well, the answer is this, Laura. A lot of people do a lot of things one-handed. For example, I grew up as a ranch kid, even though we started all of our colts with a snaffle of some sort, we eventually converted them over to a curb bit so that we could still operate the horse with 
one hand while we were very busy doing other things with other hands, such as roping a cow, opening and closing a gate, and that sort of thing. But what I want people to understand is whenever we're transitioning that horse from a snaffle into a curb bit, it's not that we need the bigger bit, so to speak, to gain better control. It's actually quite the opposite. What I mean by quite the opposite is, is that we're actually controlling the horse with the same amount of pressure and the same amount of communication to the horse. But you see, because of the leverage of that bit, now we are actually working a little bit less hard and the bit is making up the difference. And that's with what you're talking about with the curb bit. With the curb bit, right. Okay. So all the snaffle does is get the horse prepared for that curb bit. Before we talk about the curb bit any further, I'm going to back up just a fraction and better define maybe what a snaffle bit truly is, because a lot of people get that confused. And, and it's right about now in that transition between the snaffle to the curb bit is where people have the biggest confusion. Because a snaffle bit, by definition, is what we call a one-to-one ratio bit. And what does that mean? Well, it means that if I pull back with one pound of pressure, then that's exactly the pound of pressure that the horse feels in his face. There's no leverage. There's So if I pull back with one pound of pressure, that's the exact same amount of pressure the horse is going to feel. And a lot of people get confused, though, that a snaffle bit is a broken mouthpiece. Well, again, by definition, it doesn't really matter what the mouthpiece is in a snaffle. A snaffle could be a straight bar mouthpiece. It could be a three-piece mouthpiece. It could even be or what they call kind of a mule bit, which is uh, almost looks like a bicycle chain going through the horse's mouth. It could be solid. It could be a Billy Allen type mouthpiece. In other words, it could be any kind of mouthpiece that you can imagine. But the difference is that it has no leverage, meaning that it's probably either the reins are attached to, to either the O-rings or to the D-rings on the cheek pieces of the bit. And the reason that's important for us to understand is, is that Again, by definition, the snaffle is a one-to-one ratio, regardless of the mouthpiece that's in the horse's mouth. But over the years, we've begun to associate the snaffle with that broken mouthpiece bit, that two-piece bit. Well, that's, and, I mean, that's what I always thought it was. And yeah. so if it's not, I mean, how, what makes it that one-to-one ratio? What It's the design of it? It's or? the design of the, the fact that there is no leverage. In other words, the reins are pretty much attached to the bit itself. Ah, okay. And, but I'm going to back up just a little bit about, again, getting to that snaffle and, and kind of letting people understand how the confusion kind of took place and how almost anything now with a broken mouthpiece is considered a snaffle. But, you know, if uh, I'm just going to ask you a really simple question here, but if, if I cut my finger, just a little small cut, and I didn't want that cut to get infected, I might put some sort of antibacterial cream or something like that on there, and then I'd put one of those little, uh, oh, those little bandage things. What do, you, what do you call those little things? It's Band-Aid? A Band-Aid. There you go. That's exactly what I was looking for. But a Band-Aid actually is a brand name. It's actually a bandage. It's just an elastic bandage, and with a little adhesive thing there to kind of hold it in place. And of course, the little gauze piece in the middle. And, uh, and that's, that's just a bandage. But over the years, such a great marketing job has been done by Johnson & Johnson. We all call that now a Band-Aid. Well, the same thing happened to the snaffle bit. People got so used to seeing that one-to-one ratio bit with that broken mouthpiece. And maybe some trainer over there said, hey, hand me that snaffle. And then... The unknowing began to call any broken mouthpiece bit as a snaffle. 
So that's kind of how that got started. But yet the reality is, is that basically a one-to-one ratio bit, meaning where the arrays are attached directly to the rings on the, on the side of the bit, that's a one-to-one ratio bit. And by definition, that is a snaffle, not necessarily the mouthpiece. And not, not that that really makes a hill of beans difference. Everybody still knows what we're talking about when we say, hey, hand me that snaffle bit. We, we know what everybody's talking about. But just to be really clear, we wanted everybody to kind of understand that. But anyway, by, to answer your question again, by far my favorite bit, is, of course, is that offset D-ring snaffle. Now, we mentioned that those straight cheek pieces on that D-ring, the reason that's so important to me is that whenever we're going to be preparing our horses for performance, then in some associations, in order to ride the horse in competition beyond his fifth year, we have to transition that horse into a bridle. And what that means is a curb bit of some sort. So almost every curb bit that I can think of out there has a straight side where it joins on to the bit. In other words, the part of the horse that goes into the horse's mouth. So if it's got a straight side on it there, it just makes sense to me then to use a snaffle bit that will not only get the horse used to the concept of communication through the bit, but also to get him used to that feel of having that straight side on the horse's cheek. So the offset D-ring is my favorite just because it helps prepare the horse for that very next stage of training a performance horse. Now, I've had a lot of people ask too, then, well, if you can get your horse so well trained in a snaffle, then why would you ever graduate to a curb bit? Well, you see, Laura, I come from kind of a ranching background and in, in ranch work, we do a lot of stuff with one hand. In other words, we had one hand on the bridle are on the bridle reins and our other hand is usually busy opening, closing gates or cracking a stock whip or using a rope. I mean, you name it. That right hand is busy doing a lot of other things. Our left hand is usually attached to the horse. So it just makes sense then to use a bit that communicates the same signal to the horse, but yet with a lot less effort on my part, because most snaffle bits are designed to be used two-handed. And in fact, they are called a two-handed bit. So if there are two-handed bits, you see now my right hand is being occupied by a bridle rein as opposed to being productive opening and closing gates or swinging a rope and that sort of thing. So, and it's not, again, it's not that you can't do those things with a snaffle. It's just that it gives you a little bit more of an advantage if you're using a one-handed type of bit, such as a curb bit of some sort. So again, that purpose of that offset D-ring is to kind of get that horse prepared for that next stage. And the purpose of a snaffle to begin with is just to start sending those signals in preparation to getting those horses prepared for more of a full bridle type deal. So it's just a matter of doing things in progressive stages. Now, let's get back to that performance training. Whenever I'm making a transition from a snaffle bit to a curb bit, I like to try to keep as many things familiar to my horse as possible. So if I'm riding a horse as a, as a young one, as a two-year-old or somewhere around there, just getting a horse used to the bit for the first time, I'm probably going to start off with that offset D-ring with an everyday run-of-the-mill broken mouthpiece bit. In other words, just a two-piece bit. Therefore, the next bit that I'm going to transition to will have the exact same mouthpiece, but I will have a shank on it and I'll also have a curb strap on it. Now, the curb strap and the length of the shank is what applies the pressure to the horse. We mentioned earlier that the snaffle bit was a one-to-one ratio bit. Well, now when we add the shank and we add a curb strap, now we're introducing leverage to the horse. In other words, as we pull back on the reins, 
then the, the reins or, or the bit will actually rotate in the horse's mouth to the point where the curb strap comes tight underneath the horse's chin. At that point, if we continue to pull, now the curb strap stops. Therefore, it applies pressure down on the bars of the horse's mouth by the bit. So now we have to be very, very conscientious that whenever we're applying that pressure with that bit, that it's multiplying the pounds of pressure by our hand by the length of that shank. Now, as a rule of thumb, and again, there's a little bit of difference there based on the design of our bits, but as a rule of thumb, you can just about multiply the pounds of pressure by the length of the shank. At the risk of sounding stupid, what do you mean by shank? What is the shank? The shank is, uh, where were you talking about earlier about the, the O-ring snaffle or the offset D-ring snaffle? Um, the shank now becomes in place of where that O-ring would be. So now it's that full cheek piece from where the head stall attaches to the part that goes past the bit all the way down to where the reins attach. So instead of now, instead of the reins being basically attached to the bit, they're attached to something that's attached to the bit? Well, the reins are attached to uh, the bit on a snaffle or not really necessarily the bit itself, but right. to the rings, to the which rings. are in direct contact with the bit. And in this case, now the reins are attached to the bottom of the shank. Okay. So the top part of the shank is attached to the head stall. And then there's a small piece between there and where the bit actually goes into the horse's mouth. That part's considered a purchase. And then from that point down is considered the shank. Okay. Or oftentimes a lot of people refer to the entire cheek piece as the shank. And either one is correct. If you really want to get technical, the cheek piece is the full piece and the shank is only from the bit down. But for the most part, for the sake of argument, let's just focus on that uh, the shank being the entire piece from where the uh, ring is attached to the head stall all the way down to where the rings or where the reins are attached to the ring at the bottom of the shank. So as we pull on those reins, then that bit begins to rotate, and it'll rotate to the point to where the chin strap comes tight up underneath the horse's jaw. Now when we begin to continue to pull, that's where the leverage takes place. Now, therein lies the problem with most people, is that most people have such a lack of communication with a snaffle that they think after a while the horse is no longer responding, therefore they need more control. So what do they do? They go to a bigger bit. They go to a bit that actually has a shank on it. And they think now that they're going to be able to get more control with that horse because of the shank. Now, the horse may be more responsive because you're sending a much stronger signal. Therefore, to us, it may seem as if we're getting more control. But actually, what we're doing, we're yelling at the horse when we could be just whispering to the horse. And what I mean by that is that the horse feels that same pressure, but now again, it's being multiplied by the length of the shank. And I personally can't disagree with that philosophy more. I don't think we need to yell louder to the horse what we know he doesn't understand. If the horse doesn't understand woe in a snaffle, he's not going to understand woe just because you're yelling it to him through more leverage. So we need to begin to learn to fix our problems, not by adding a bigger bit, by being better communicators with a lesser bit, if that makes sense. And I hope to our listeners that it does, because we don't want to add more leverage and add more pressure to the horse when we know that he doesn't understand when we're not even using any kind of pressure at all. And, and the analogy I use is that 
you know, if there's somebody out there that doesn't, doesn't understand a particular language, let's say it's, oh, I don't know, let's say it's French for whatever reason, and somebody's stuck on the side of the road and they're having difficulties with their vehicle, we get up there and start talking to the guy and ask him if he needs any help, and then we find out, well, he doesn't understand English. He's, he's a Frenchman, and that's the only thing he understands is French. Well, if he doesn't understand, does it do us any good to yell at him? No, it's, of course not. Yeah, of course not. So it's it's not the language he doesn't understand, or I'm sorry, it's not the fact that he doesn't need help. It's just the fact that he doesn't understand our language. So it doesn't matter how loud we yell it at him. He still doesn't understand it. So now let's get back to the horse that has the stopping problem. If I'm riding with a snaffle bit and I pick up on my hands as if I'm going to try to get the horse to stop and he's not responding in a timely manner, then what I need to work on is the communication of him understanding stop. If I just go get a bigger bit, really all I'm doing is is that I'm yelling at him with a stronger signal from the bit. But it's a signal he doesn't understand. It's a signal he doesn't understand. So it doesn't matter how loud I yell it. I could go get a bigger bit still, and that's not going to solve my problem. The problem, though, is is that sometimes people begin to think, well, it does too work, man, because I put a bigger bit on there and that sucker stopped like a dime. Well, yeah, he did because he had so much pain in his face that he basically wanted to quit running into that brick wall. He wanted a, something to relieve himself of that pain. Now, the question is, do we want our horses to stop because they're trying to avoid pain? Or do we want them to stop just because we've sent a signal to them that allowed them to stop? You see, and just my way of training and almost every trainer that I know, the last thing we want to do is cause the horse any tension or any anxiety through the bit in his face because that leads to a tremendous array of other problems. So we actually want to avoid that by at all costs so that the answer there is not to go to the bigger bit, but to stay with a softer bit until the horse understands his job. But again, let's suggest it. Well, if that's the case, then why do we ever need to go to a bigger bit? Well, that yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Why do you have all these great big old bits then? Well, then why don't we still drive cars without power steering pumps? Why do all of our cars now to where we can operate and turn the steering wheel with only one finger? I mean, if we could get our horses to turn or get our trucks to turn before without that, then why do we ever get the power steering pump? Just to make the same job easier, right? So... The reason we have that leverage is that now I may have to move my hands a certain amount and apply a certain amount of pressure to get my horse to respond. But now when I go to a lighter bit, the horse should still be responding to the same amount of pressure, but the effort on my part should be much, much less. Then as a result of that, I get a horse that's more responsive, less fearful, less resistant. Mm -hmm. But too many times I see people do the opposite. They're not getting the response they want, so they start switching bits. They get a bigger bit. Get yeah, a I mean, bit. I've heard that many times from various people I know that ride horses, that they've got a, a horse that's given them fits over some, one thing or another, and that's the answer. Well, you need a bigger bit. You need, right. you need a curb bit to solve this problem. And you're saying that's not going to solve the problem. No. And, and again, more times than not, it's going to create more problems. It's going to create issues with a horse having fear and resistance to the bit. It's going to cause issues with a horse slinging his head or jerking his head. It's one of the most common things. And then, of course, what that leads to is that, well, my horse is slinging his head a lot. What should I do? And they get a tie down <laughs> so that he can't sling his head. Well, again, that's that's not that's just putting a band aid on the problem. It's not solving the problem. It's just covering it up with 
another restrictive apparatus, and it's just never a, it's just never a good thing. So again, the reason that we want to graduate up into, you know, into a, a curb bit is not that we're speaking louder to the horse, is that we're speaking the same language, but our effort into it's much less. And again, in some associations, we kind of have to make that progression in order to be able to still compete in our horses once they're beyond that fifth year. Now, for those folks out there who don't ever aspire to compete in the arena and aren't restricted by those rules of having to show in a bridle, you know, then the question comes up, well, do I ever need to switch out of a snaffle? Absolutely not. If you're getting the results that you want and everything and, and you're happy with how your horse performs, then by all means, stay with what you're doing. You know, I even have people ask if it's okay if they ride their horses out on the trail with just a halter on them. If your horse is responding and you feel safe and secure with that halter, your horse is listening to the cues and the, com- the commands that you're sending via the halter, then by all means, if you feel confident and secure in that, then do that. I tend to like a snaffle, though, because it, it helps me fix all my problems with my horses, meaning that uh, the, the bit itself doesn't fix the problems, but it tells me now exactly how many pounds of pressure that I'm applying to the horse before the horses respond. And in fact, I'm using the word pounds, but in reality, it should just be ounces. I should just be able to apply just ounces of pressure onto a snaffle and my horse respond to it. You know, one of the things I teach my students at the ranch all the time is I don't want the horse to respond to the bit. I want the horse to respond to the weight of the rein. The horse can feel that the weight change in that rein. And my horse's job is to teach me to never apply pressure to the bit. And they can do that by simply responding to the rain. You may have heard me mention one of my heroes' names several times, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Tom Dorrance. And I had a chance to meet Tom several years ago at another one of my heroes' facility, and his name was Jack Brainerd. And Jack's been a hero of mine for years and years. And he called one time and said that Tom Dorrance was coming to his facility to do a clinic. And uh, I had an opportunity to visit with Tom on a couple of different occasions while he was there. And one of the things that he said that really meant a lot to me, he says, you know, Van, you do a lot of cult starting. And because of that, I just want you to remember something. If you ever pull on a horse, you'll always have to pull on a horse. And that really influenced me to be lighter and softer with my hands and be more communicative to the horses. And as a result, over the years since I've learned that from him, my horses have gotten lighter and lighter. It's gotten to the point now to where literally they were responding to just the weight of the rain. And that, to me, is almost the epitome of a, a soft, responsive young horse. So, obviously, we don't have time to like go through the whole series of kinds of bits that you use and stuff. What are, are there any other, I guess, key points that you want to make about bits? I, I, you've obviously made the point that it, the bit is not the answer. It's, it's the person who's using it and what you're doing with it. But, but what are the, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap up? that you think listeners need to know about bits and how to use them and how to know when to use what? The thing that I want to emphasize, I'm going to kind of repeat myself here is I want people to understand that the bits don't fix problems. The bits more times than not cause issues. And I heard another really good horseman say one time, you know, Van, you know why there's so many bits when you go to the feed store and you look in the tack room section and all the, the area where they've got all the bits, you know why there are so many? because none of them work. Hmm. And again, when he said that to me, at first I thought it was just kind of a joke, but the reality is he was right. Because 
We also have to understand how the industry works. And the industry works is that there's companies out there that's going to manufacture bits. And in order for those companies to sell their bits, they have to sell them through, in most cases, retailers. And when the retailers go to that manufacturer and they're ready to restock their shelves, one of the first questions that comes up to the manufacturer is, what's new? So see, because of that need to buy something new, something different, there's a lot of pressure put on the manufacturers to always look for something that's doing something different. So that's why we see so many different types of bits out there. Is it not that one's better than the other? There, any bit can only be as good as the guy using it. But we also have to understand, well, if that's the case, then why are there so many? Why is this guy designing this bit? Why is this guy designing that bit? And why has this one got this type of shank? And that one's got this little dumafagi. And that one's got this little thingamajig. And really what it is, it's that they're, they're basically under so much pressure to produce something new for to keep the retailers happy. The sad thing is, is that the folks going in the stores to buy those bits, they don't really have a clue. They're just going to be shoppers and go buy something that's new and go try it on their horses. And I'm not necessarily opposed to that, except for my biggest thing always is that I tell people, I don't really care what bit you use. All I really care about is that you know how to use that bit and most importantly, how it affects your horse. Because again, it's not the bit, it's the guy using it. And that's what we have to realize is, is that again, the bit has no IQ. It's only going to be as good as you. And even though there's a thousand different ones out there, what usually makes a bit good or bad is somebody's comfort level in using a particular bit. You know, I, I saw a guy using a bit one time. I can't even begin to describe it, but it was a very odd looking bit. Um, the shank was very odd. Honestly, I couldn't figure out exactly how it worked. But the guy loved it, and every horse he had rode really well with it. And so I asked him one time, I said, man, what, what kind of bit is it? Well, it's just one that I just I built. And What made you decide to do this? Well, it was just all the material that he had. Mm-hmm. And that, he just basically pieced something together. He got used to the feel of it. Therefore, he could communicate through that means very well. And as a result, his horses responded very well. Not because of the bit, because of the way he communicated through the bit. That kind of makes me think of the old flip phone versus the smartphone. <laughs> you know, I was probably one of the guys that was most reluctant to switch from the flip phone to the iPhone, for example. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I was that I liked simplicity. I had learned how to operate a cell phone with a very, very simple flip phone. And because of that, I felt very comfortable in communicating with other people through that flip phone. And it wasn't really later until I got the iPhone and I thought, wow, look what I was missing out on because I'd never even thought about experimenting and looking at other things. And I know that's not necessarily helping my, my thing with the thing there with, with, with the analogy, but it does help folks realize sometimes we get really good at using what we feel most comfortable with. And sometimes people will have certain favorites because they feel most comfortable with that favorite. And I'm okay with that. I just tell people, just be very keenly aware, number one, how to use it. And number two, make sure you understand how it affects your horse. And never use any more pressure than you just absolutely have to to get your message and your signal across to your animal. Given that what you just said about the pressure and what you've what you've described about how the curb bit amplifies the pressure, so to speak, is there any reason why 
a, you know, a beginning rider should ever go get a curb bit. I mean, it seems to me like somebody who's just learning and has maybe not very good hands that they're liable to do harm to their horse if they get that kind of bit. That potentiality is always there. In fact, sometimes you'll see people that aren't very good handed and and because of their poor posture or their poor balance, they're liable to flop their hands around. And of course, the more their hands move, they're sending that signal straight down through the reins and into the horse's mouth. And, and if they're riding with a fairly significantly long shank bit, then it's multiplying that same action into the pressure of the horse. So to answer your question, is there ever a reason I'd have an inexperienced rider? Well, yeah, maybe so. Because if I had like a fairly young child, that was say four or five, six years old, learning how to ride, I would probably just for the sake of me knowing how not strong they are, they're not strong enough to really apply much pressure to the bit. So I would want the horse that they're riding to at least be able to pick up on that signal. Mm -hmm. So I would, I might recommend a young child still ride a horse. that's very tolerant, very well trained, very well broke, very responsive. But when I say the word tolerant, I mean that a horse that could, tolerate the mistakes that the young child's going to make. But at the same time, I wouldn't want to disadvantage the child by not being able to send a, a signal yeah. that the horse could pick up on. So in that case, I might say, yeah, that youngster might be a good candidate to ride a well-broke, well-tolerant, tolerant horse with a shank bit, even though the kid may not necessarily ride really well. And most adults, they can probably understand if they're being coached and worked with by an, another trainer or an instructor they might be able to be coached a little bit better and, but yet still lack the balance and still lack the posture that it needs to keep their hands nice and steady. So for those adults, I might recommend those guys definitely learning how to ride in a snaffle first. And as their hands get more balanced and more secure, uh, then we could probably graduate after a while to a bridle if they needed to, but it's nothing they would have to do for sure. Well, all right. Well, that's a uh, great information to have. And obviously, if uh, listeners have questions about bits, more questions, because this whole episode comes from the fact that there have been a lot of questions about bits, you're always listening and welcoming other people's questions. And you can send those to us at info at vanhargis.com. Or you can go to the website, vanhargis.com, and there's a contact page there where you can send a message, and Van will see that and respond to it either via email or in a future episode. You can also communicate with us and connect with us uh, on Facebook. Just search for Van Hargis Horsemanship on Facebook and do like the page and leave a message there with your questions or suggestions. We welcome those. Van is eager to hear from listeners as to the questions you have, the things maybe you'd like to learn that he can address in future episodes of Ride Every Stride. And with respect to the podcast, we always like to ask if you enjoy the podcast, if you think it's worthwhile and that other people might enjoy it as well, consider going to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to Ride Every Stride and leave a review. Just a few sentences can do a couple of things. It makes the more reviews we get, the more iTunes or Stitcher will kind of promote the podcast and that makes it visible to more people so they can 
learn about it as well. But also the feedback is really valuable to us. If you let us know what we're doing right, what we could do to make it better, to make it more useful to you, I know that would be very, very much appreciated. I think that's all I've got. Van, anything you want to say before we shut it down for this time? I can't think of a thing at the moment, Laura, but most importantly, I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, remember, it's your life, your journey, your trail, so ride every stride.